listening to Ouija Broads. This is Liz. And this is Devin. <sighs> First of all, Devin, you need to know another foot washed up in Vancouver. Oh god, this is so gross. This is so <laughs> gross. They keep coming. More feet. No. No, mm-hmm. god damn it. Okay, and then what are the what are the main theories again about why uh, these feet are washing up? They're in shoes yeah, that in float. Shoes. Yeah, and if you look at, like, a scan of a cadaver or even a Mm -hmm. live body that's wearing clothes and you Mm -hmm. look at it in terms of gas, you can really see, like, all the air is on the feet. It's all in those running shoes. But we have to also accept that at least one of the feet that's washed up was in a hiking boot. Yes. Yeah, so that's one of them, is that they will disarticulate, and then, you know, animals aren't going to chew through all the stuff at the foot, so they, at the shoe, so they're going to, like, they'll take, the the one that washed up looked like straight up Looney Tunes, like, a shoe, and then two <laughs> beautiful bones coming out of it. Oh my god! Yeah. Oh my god! That's how I draw them, you know, when yeah. I need to draw, you know, skeletons wearing shoes. Exactly. Yeah. And then I guess the guy who, no, it was a, it was a dog who found it. I remember. Let me see. What was the dog? What was the dog's name? name? This is important. (laughs) Breaking news. Weech Broads is here for you with this information. I know I tweeted about it, so I'm going to dig back and find it. Okay. And it's great because in the picture, the Rottweiler is like bouncing up. Taz. The dog's name is <laughs> Tess, right. and she's a girl, and I love her. Yeah. She's a beautiful baby. Yeah. Aww. She's six, and she ran over and found this, and her owner went and found this uh, tibia and fibula attached to a left foot with a white sock and a black shoe. It was great as Mr. Johns, Taz's dad, called the police, and then he used a stick to pick up the foot. All right. He carried it back to his property and locked it in his greenhouse because he was afraid that a bear or an eagle would get it or it would wash back into the water. Those are all valid concerns. Yep, and uh, they said, you know, FYI, you do not need to do that. <laughs> if yeah. you find one. Yep. You can just let it say, well, Liz, I've solved the case. This person was clearly a fashion victim. <laughs> That's so disrespectful, Devin. Why would you say that? That's great. It's good, but yeah, the um, it's unclear. I don't know what's happening, but I love that it's still happening. I mean, we know why a lot of these people died as they they jumped into the water themselves, or they were yeah. boating accidents. But why it's feet? I don't know if it's the running shoes thing or yeah. something's happening in the tides or maybe we're just really tuned into it and maybe maybe our dogs are getting smarter. <laughs> Grosser. <laughs> yeah, like our dogs are getting smarter? I would consider my dog smart if it knew to not bring me dead feet. You gotta consider all the possibilities. You gotta consider your alternative hypotheses. What? <laughs> I don't know what the alternative is. That's that's the foot update. I don't have any Sasquatch updates. Okay, Sasquatch. once upon a time, Devin. Yes. There was a boy named Forrest Fenn. F-E-N-N. Okay. And when Forrest was a little boy, his father and he lived in central Texas, and they would go out into the desert and hunt for arrowheads. Okay. Yeah, and... That's something Forrest, I would do. Yeah, he found his first one at the age of nine. Mm-hmm. And he became hooked for life. Okay. 
And forest is the topic of this, and you'll understand why soon. It's not all in Texas. So Forrest became a fishing guide when he was about 13 and like a a hiking guide. He was an experienced hiker and he was an explorer. And then in 1950, he joined the Air Force. And not only was this really good for an adrenaline junkie, but it also gave him an excuse to travel all over the world. So he went to Vietnam, where he was shot down twice. Okay. He went to Pompeii, where he was kicked out three times. Mm. Uh, He explored Libya. He explored the Sahara, Mm -hmm. uh, which he said he loved because you could see, like, thousand-year-old structures next to a downed German plane from World War II. Yeah. But his favorite place to explore was Arizona. Of all places. Oh. It is an archaeological gem because it's been occupied for so many centuries. They estimated that there were at least 500,000 graves in Arizona. Are you kidding me? No. Dang, dude. Half a million graves in Arizona. Yeah. Continuously inhabited by humans for many centuries. All right. Yeah. So Arizona was his jam. And he... Well, I'll, I'll tell you what he says about himself. In my mind, he says, I've always been the best in the world at collecting cool things. Mm. That's, I want to learn at his feet. Because you know how I feel about collecting things that I find on the ground. Yes, exactly. Well, his father had a, a saying, which is, grab all the bananas. And <laughs> apparently... When Forrest was little, he was like, what, do that, what does that mean, Dad? And he was like, so life is a train, and you're on the train, and the train is going to go past the banana tree. And you got to grab all the bananas, because you're never going to be back. Every banana you leave on the tree is a banana you don't have. Grab all oh, the bananas. <laughs> That's not healthy. Mm-mm. But it will explain a lot about Forrest Fenn. Okay. <sighs> uh, <laughs> on this week's episode of Hoarders. Um, <laughs> yes, Exactly. <laughs> this is a bad idol for me. Yes, he's um he's he's a complicated character like so many of the people that we discuss. Yes. But Forrest loved exploring Arizona. He picked okay. up antiquities and artifacts and cool stuff from all over the world. And he actually, in 1972, moved to New Mexico, so he'd be close to Arizona. But this was right when the big wave of Southwestern art and interior decor started. Gotcha. So he's in Santa Fe right as this huge wave hits, and he's got connections to all kinds of Indian artists, all kinds of people like Georgia O'Keeffe. Yeah. You know, work in that kind of area. And he has a ton of antiquities. So he can sell you your, you know, legit carving or whatever. He can sell yeah. you antiques that are going to go so well. He can sell you the turquoise necklace and everything. Oh my god, and he this... becomes a celebrity. Really? Okay. Yeah. All right. So Forrest became a celebrity. He sold art and antiquities to celebrities okay. like Steven Spielberg, like Steve Martin, like John Wayne. Like Jackie Kennedy and like Cher, because you know Cher's vibe was oh. like psychedelic, half breed. Like, oh yeah, exactly. All of her vibe. And, exactly. Yeah, yeah wearing right. the war bonnets and the fringe exactly. and the whatever else she could. Oh, go for it, Cher. I can't fault you. That was Cher's deal. That was a good Cher impression. Thank you. 
I usually do terrible impressions. I'm glad I got away with one for a yeah, second. No, no. no, you did it very well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so not only was he in the right place at the right time to really capitalize on this trend, but he was just such a larger than life person that working with him and buying from him was this like full body fucking experience. Oh, really? So, you would fly in and he would like pick you up in a limo. He would put you up in a guest house with like gold fixtures and you could come visit his house that was full of beautiful antiquities. That's basically like more beautiful than any museum anyway. And wow. He was, you know, a great storyteller, hilarious, a million life experiences. At this point he had a pet alligator named Beowulf. <laughs> That he used to feed by hand. So uh, feed just, a like, put hand. Yourself, feed a hand, yeah. <laughs> put yourself back in like the 70s and 80s and you're, you know, like blowing coke out yeah. of a... <laughs> yeah, he did so <laughs> much coke, cell. dude. Yeah, like all of this just makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So this is his life through the 70s and 80s. And he becomes a very, very rich man. And a very well-known man, too. Like, you know, national celebrity people. There was a book written about him called, oh, what the heck was it? The Codex, which has actually been optioned twice for a movie but never made into it. Huh. Uh, So, because he has this kind of Indiana Jones thing going on. Yeah. Where it's not just, he's not just this dry, dusty guy showing you stuff that's organized in this very particular way. Yeah. He's got a story for every item and this great energy. Okay, I'm going to say that it gets picked up in the next seven years and Leonardo DiCaprio stars as the titular character. Interesting. Okay. Now you're on record having said that. Yep, done it. Yeah. Well, so here's here's the second act thing. So we have all the part with Leo's going to be, you know, toasting with champagne. Yep. And hanging out with actresses being Cher and Jackie Kennedy and stuff. Yep. Then in 1987, his father died. So Mr. Grab All the Bananas had pancreatic cancer. Yeah. And he took a heavy dose of sleeping pills because he was like, I'm out. Okay. That's fair. That was 1987. In 1988, Forrest himself was diagnosed with kidney cancer. And they gave him very little chance of survival. So he actually beat the cancer. Forrest is still alive today. But those two things so close together got him thinking about what he wanted his legacy to be. Okay. So one thing he came up with was burying bronze bells that contain his life story inside them. So he's done that. He's put eight of them in the ground so far. Uh, interesting. <laughs> ooh, it, as, as surprises for people to find? I think so. I only found this bit in in one uh, article about him. Maybe if I had gotten his book, I would know more. Okay. But you can kind of see how he got there of like, you know, I spent all my time looking at stuff from people who are long dead. What are people going to find when I'm long dead? Yeah. And this is where he comes up with the idea to bury a hidden treasure. Oh, cool. Yes. So... He takes an old bronze chest and he puts in gold nuggets, antique coins, pre-Columbian jewelry, rare gems, and a copy of his autobiography, of course. And when he thought he was dying, his original plan was he and the treasure would both be in the same place. So anyone who found the treasure would find his bones too. But he outlived the cancer. So the treasure chest just like sat around in his house for 20 years. 
But it's not over. Around 2010, he started feeling his mortality again. So he's in his 80s at this point. Okay. And he goes out and buries the treasure chest somewhere in the Rocky Mountains. <gasps> yes. Oh my gosh. Then he publishes a book called The Thrill of the Chase, which tells about his life and also includes a poem with nine clues to the location of the <gasps> treasure. Are you kidding me? I'm going to find it. I'm not. <laughs> oh okay, my god. Here, here's, here's the poem so that you can get started. Okay. As it's not the best poem we've ever read on the show, but well. it is less racist than most of them. <laughs> <laughs> Low bar, I know. It is. Uh, as I have gone alone in there, and with my treasures bold, I can keep my secret where, and hint of riches new and old. Begin it where warm waters halt, and take it in the canyon down. Not far, but too far to walk, put in below the home of Brown, and Brown is capitalized. Mm -hmm. From there, it's no place for the meek, the end is drawing ever nigh. There'll be no paddle up your creek, just heavy loads and water high. If you've been wise and found the blaze, look quickly down your quest to cease. But tarry scant with marvel gaze, just take the chest and go in peace. So why is it that I must go and leave my trove for all to seek? The answers I already know. I've done it tired and now I'm weak. So hear me all and listen good. Your effort will be worth the cold. If you are brave and in the wood, I give you title to the gold. I have chills. Yeah, he wrote a poem. There's nine clues in there. And he's given a couple of additional clues over the years, because this was about seven years ago, right? Okay. So what we know is it's somewhere in New Mexico, Colorado, Wyoming, or Montana. So it's in our Ouija Broads area. Okay. It's above 5,000 feet in elevation, but below 10,200 feet. It's in okay. an area with pine trees. It's not in a graveyard, a mine, or another man-made structure. It's not in close proximity to a human trail. And it's not in a place an 80-year-old man couldn't go. So <laughs> wow. that's part of his hint is he's like, I was 80 when I planted this 40-pound box. <laughs> I work backward from there. Damn. Like, he's fit. And he certainly knows the area very well. But okay. it's probably not, you know, you've got a free climb up a sheer cliff face or something. Right, right. Okay. Yeah. And Ooh. thousands of people have gone hunting for the treasure. Yeah. None of them successfully. Nobody has found it so far. He estimates about 65,000 people. No fucking way. Yeah. It's a hugely lively thing on the internet, obviously. Tons of forums, tons of people who, when you're like, okay, I'm going to try to solve it, they're like, all right, well, we already figured all this out, so don't do that, don't do this. Okay. You know, we've tried this, we've tried that. They okay. They insider knowledge. Everybody is convinced they have the solution, and everybody else is wrong, obviously. Right. Uh, and <laughs> then, you know, everybody goes out and they try it. They try it, they try their solution, and they don't find it. And people are interested in this all over the world, too. So there were people oh. who will, you know, make their solve and then fly from England and fly from Japan to try to find the treasure. So wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. He says one of the reasons why he hid it in 2010 is because it was the Great Recession. Yeah. And he wanted to cheer people up. And get them off their couches and going outside. Oh my god, it's like Pokemon Go! 
Yes. <laughs> the world's going to shit. Get outside right now oh and play a game. <gasps> oh my gosh. Okay. So do you, thinking of these, these clues, do you have any ideas? I mean, honestly, I don't know those areas well enough. Mm-mm. Um, you know, it's a it's, little more southwestern. Yeah. Uh, then yeah, I mean, like if, if the home of Brown, okay, well there there's got to be a town, or there was an explorer named Brown that settled there, or there's Mount Brown, or you know something, but like it's not Washington or Oregon, so I can't come up with it off yeah, the top well, of my one head. One of the solves for that actually is that people speculate he might be talking about Leadville, Colorado, which is where the unsinkable Molly Brown was from. Oh, okay. Yeah. But of course, there's a million interpretations for every one of these. Yeah. One of the things we do know is he's like, this is something that a bright kid could solve. This is not like numerology or a cipher. Like okay. the clues are the clues. The clues are what they are. Okay. Yeah. So he's still around. He okay. He is 86 and he has a home full of treasure. So among the things he owns right now are Sitting Bull's Peace Pipe. Oh, wow. And a mummified falcon from King Tut's tomb. <laughs> what the fuck? Yep. What the All fuck? Right. So maybe we should talk a little bit about the shady part. Mm. Gotta do the shady part. Yeah, so we do. He, he's currently under investigation by the FBI for grave robbing. Yeah, I bet he is. Yep, it's been going on for a couple of years. Neither party will really comment on it. Um, he was not, you know, the only one they targeted, but an undercover agent walked through his house and got the tour, and then they opened a case on him. Yeah. Yep, the reason he got kicked out of Pompeii three times was he was stealing artifacts. I bet he was! <laughs> yeah. I bet he was! So one of the things that makes it a little bit of a gray area is a lot of his early collecting was done in the days before... It was explicitly illegal yeah. to do some of this stuff. Like, yeah. it's been illegal to remove stuff from public lands for a while, yeah. but this was not in the time when we understood, or, you know, we... This is not the time when white folks legally understood how appalling it was to yeah. pillage native ruins. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. So, I can't prove any of that. I think he certainly has told plenty of stories to plenty of people about his escapades. Oh, and Yeah shady iffy stuff and he certainly has a lot around him mm -hmm. that might be of questionable provenance and that always happens to a certain degree when you're an archaeological collector i mm -hmm. think is uh the black market is very lively yes absolutely it is yeah so i can't prove any of that but what i do know is he actually owns his own arizona ruin an archaeological national historic landmark Oh, wow. I didn't know you could do that in I the didn't. U.S., but you can if you're rich enough. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that that quote really could go anywhere. I didn't know Couldn't you could it? do that in the U.S., but you can if you're rich enough. Yeah, you really yeah, can. He owns the San Lazaro Pueblo, which is 65 hectares in the Galisteo Basin south of Santa Fe that has a prehistoric Pueblo site that the Tano tribe or Taino tribe settled about 700 years ago. So it was a pueblo that grew to more than 2,000 rooms. Damn! Over the years. And about 300 years ago, 
uh, the European army showed up, the European army, but like Europeans showed up specifically. um, I think it was the Spanish at the time and people left. So it's almost like a Marie Celeste thing. Like they left a lot of their stuff because they left in such a hurry. Okay. And he owns it and he's been excavating it. It is a cultural heritage site that a private citizen owns and is excavating. Yep, it's a National Historic Landmark that he's going through, bit by bit. Not going to end poorly at all. Nope. Well, he's turned up ancient gaming pieces, jewelry, Mm -hmm. and a plaster mask. Um, Okay. Cool things like that. He says it's kind of a retreat for him, like it's a place for him to get away, but, you know, he loves to dig. He loves the treasure hunt. Yeah. So he found, you know, old arrows and a shattered mission bell and all kinds of stuff like that, and he organizes it. And he basically, um, so there's a state archaeologist for New Mexico who has been invited there and has seen him doing his stuff. And he says, it is like a drug high for this guy. Yeah, Like, he does not know how to not do this, basically. Yeah. Even here, it's hard to tell whether this has crossed any legal lines. So 22 years ago, New Mexico said, you've been disturbing graves on the Pueblo. Yeah. There's human remains that are piled and scattered around. Oh, yeah. Because obviously, if people have been living in an area for 700 years, they've been dying in an area for 700 years. Yeah. But the complaint got thrown out because they trespassed to collect that evidence. Oh, guys. Yeah. So Mark firmaning it. Jesus fruit Christ. Fruit a poisonous tree. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So here's Fenn's logic. The key word in the law is discover. We found bones that might have been human, but we didn't discover that they were. So we covered them up and moved someplace else. Mm. Yeah, do you detect that distinction? I didn't. Mm. Uh. (laughs) Wow. All right. Yeah. So uh, (laughs) one of the reporters who went out and visited him said, you know, there's basically there's his property and there's a barbed wire fence and then there's federal property on the other side. Yeah. And so, you know, they went through the Pueblo and picked up, you know, bone pieces and beads and turquoise and all this kind of stuff and yeah. the reporter pointed over to the stuff on the other side of the fence and he said what's the difference between here and there and Fen said 18 months in jail and a $10,000 fine <laughs> so I don't think he's in any uh, ambiguity about whether what he's doing is considered illegal if he did it someplace else yeah. but I think he feels like he's figured out where he can do this yeah. legally enough oh yeah yeah, but, you know, he's still under investigation by the FBI for other stuff. Yeah. Uh, or possibly for this, I'm not sure, because the FBI won't comment on it. Yeah. So among the things that are happening because of his involvement with the San Lazaro Pueblo, descendants of the people who used to live there pray for him because mm. the head of the National Congress of the American Indian said that collectors like him are cursed. <gasps> you gotta have a curse. Oh, you gotta yeah. have a curse. <gasps> exactly. This story has it all. Buried treasure, curses. Yeah. Yeah. So is he cursed? I don't know. He got cancer, but he survived cancer. Yeah. His dad died, but, you know, that unfortunately comes to most of us unless we go first. He's pretty yeah. rich. He's pretty famous. He's yeah. lived into his 80s. He looks pretty healthy from the photos I saw. He's, yeah. I can't tell if... 
it's just how he is, but he's got a little bit of that Kenny Rogers tightness to his face. Yeah. But, you know. Yeah, that sun-weathered old man. Uh, is it plastic surgery or is it just leather skin? Mm, he, he looks a little taut. He looks a little shiny. Gotcha. Uh, yeah. But not everybody around him has been so lucky. So two people who have been targeted in the same case as him actually have committed suicide. And <sighs> Fenn says that the FBI is responsible for that. Because they've been targeted by this. And two people, possibly three, have died searching for the treasure. I say possibly three because no body's been found. Um, Oh, shit. But they know that person was out there looking for the treasure, and then they disappeared and they haven't been heard from since. So... Oh. (laughs) Great. No, he did. yeah, so some people have said you got to cancel the hunt, man. Like, this is irresponsible. People are going out there. They're getting hurt. They're dying. This is, you're creating an attractive nuisance, basically. You mm-hmm. are endangering people's lives. And what he points out is more people die at the Grand Canyon every year. Like, yeah. Yeah, so 12 people, I looked this up, annually, on average, 12 people die at the Grand Canyon every year. And in the seven years, almost eight, that this has been going, maybe three people died. Okay. Which I think is not bad for something that it brings 65,000 people into the mountains. That mountains are serious business, you know? Yeah. Presumably. not infinitely forgiving. It's not Disneyland. I think probably more people die at Disneyland. Probably more people do die of, like, heat stroke and whatever. I mean, if you, I know he's an 80-year-old man, and he said, like, how far could an 80-year-old dude get in the woods? But he also said he was away from, didn't he say it was away from a major road? That it was. Yeah, he said um, it wasn't by a human trail. Human trail. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, still, you know, he's hiking maximum, I assume, two days. I figure it's less than 15 miles from a human trail. Could be right off a game trail, I guess. Yeah. Like, but it's still enough of a of a journey. It's enough of a hardship that you figure the people that are doing this at least kind of know what they're doing. And if they yeah, decide to, yeah. if they decide to take that risk, they take that risk. Right. It's not like it's a, a radio stunt promotion or something where yeah. they're you, like, drink a bunch of stuff and you just spur of the moment decided to do this. Like, you really yeah. need to plan, especially. Yeah. One of the things he said is that if he were where the treasure was, he talked about, you know, I'd be smelling sagebrush and pine, I think is what he said. But he would say okay. I would also know the treasure was wet. So, sometimes people are looking under waterfalls or in creeks or rivers or okay. they're diving for it. Because, you know, what's to say he didn't die? I I don't, you know, he says, I pulled up the, I pulled up the poem. So, you know, begin it where the warm waters halt. And he talks later about a creek, but he says, there'll be no paddle up your creek, just heavy loads and water high. So I assume it's like a dry creek bed. Could be, or under could be that you can't paddle. Also, like a a shallow one, shallow or too narrow or too rocky or something. Okay, okay. No, I could see or that. Maybe it's I'm... not a creek at all. Yeah, I don't think he's. I don't think he dove. Mm-hmm. That's my thought. But everything is too. It, you know, you can interpret it a lot of ways. Like, yeah. is where warm waters halt, does that mean where the water gets cold? 
Or does it mean that, like, it's where all the warm water is and that's where the water stays? Or Mm -hmm. is it something to do with weather or Mm -hmm. seasons? What is the blaze? Why is brown capitalized? Yeah. I don't know. Everybody thinks they've got it figured out so far. Nobody's got it figured out. There's been a lot of confident people out there. Yeah. Oh, I mean, one other thing that I'll point out about the whole death thing is at least one person, Fenn says, contacted him and said, I was suicidal and this treasure hunt gave me a reason to live. Oh, so, wow. I bet they're not the only one, too. That would yeah. be, if, if you had nothing else going on in your life, really, I could see this being a fantastic thing to do. Absolutely. Right? Like, right? Go out there and, like, study it and get involved and... I don't know. Get you out of the house. Get you out of the house. I mean, like I said, just like Pokemon Go, man. Like, it's going to get you out. It's going to get you moving. It's going to get you seeing nature. It's going to get your brain working in interesting ways. Um, Yeah. One of the reasons why I like it relative to, for instance, a lot of the treasures that are lost, that we put on our Lost Things of Washington map, available on Etsy. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Good plug. A lot of those are from, like, 100 years ago, 130 mm-hmm. years ago. So whatever landmarks were in place then have been changed by human development and erosion and yeah. you know, plants growing, plants disappearing. This is, like, he's around and he's yeah. clarifying. And he's yeah. like, no, I didn't mean that. Yes, I did mean something like this. No, it's not a numerical code. <laughs> wow all this cool kind of stuff so he doesn't really give out a ton of hints but he does occasionally give out clues if you just okay. email him and ask for a clue he won't give you anything okay obviously um and he'll call 911 if you show up to his house but good man you're supposed to do that yeah but he's pretty engaged in this whole treasure hunt and i kind of love that like i think it's you've got to set aside the whole sketchy provenance of probably most or some of his treasure including probably some of what's in the treasure chest yeah but if we put a pin in that and say yes okay that's not all right but man a treasure hunt a legit treasure hunt Mm -hmm. a legit modern treasure hunt with the equivalent Mm -hmm. of a map yeah and a poem a, a confusing allegorical poem that's fantastic. That's fun. I, oh, More wow. rich people should do stuff like this. God, Don't right? Just put it in bonds or whatever. No, Don't just boring. Buy another gold toilet. <laughs> you don't need that. Boring. Yeah. I'm. I'm super interested in his. In his uh, Native American artifacts because, of course, Nagpra is now such a big deal, and that's the area of museum studies that I actually really wanted to specialize in but couldn't couldn't find the schooling that I wanted at the time and it's kind of a sensitive subject I mean the majority of folks in museums who are working for NAGPRA uh reasons and NAGPRA is the Native American Graves Repatriation Act that it's since like 1990 yeah you bet it's since I think it was like 1990 was when this was started it's fairly recent but it means that any items in America that are in possession of museums or that are found uh, now and they are certain ceremonial objects or they are human remains or related to a grave. So it could be, you know, a fetish that was buried specifically with a dead person. You know, you don't find the remains, but you find this totem. Uh, It has to go back to 
the graves, and there's certain ways that you repatriate it. The biggest one that people will know, of course, is Kennewick Man, how he was- I was just gonna say, do you want to talk about Kennewick Man on this episode? Yeah, I could talk a little bit about it. I don't know a ton about it, but I, I think it's really fascinating that it was such a- it was such a contentious thing and I kind of, I kind of, I mean, I get it, but I also don't get it. There's, I'm, I'm really split on my thoughts on, mm-hmm. um, on the ancient one as he's known now as opposed to Kennewick man. Um, but I, I understand the importance of having funerary items from various cultures mm-hmm. on display but I also do think that if you have an existing culture <laughs> that you have items from, that their thoughts on your display or interpretation are probably paramount. Um, yeah. The Burke Museum is Washington State's museum. And that's the one that um, did a little bit of work for, like my my collections internship. My collections class was through them, so I helped catalog one of their really boring collections, you know, just one of the thousands (laughs) that they have that some white guy in the 70s was like, cool, here's all my archaeological stuff. All this is important. Yay! And luckily he was one of the guys that took really good notes. So you have the the provenance and provenience of these items. One of those, those two words again? Yeah, they're different. Provenance and provenience. And because I'm on air, I'm having a super senior moment. And one of them is the one of them is like the detailed history. Where was it found and where has it been in every moment of time from the point it was found to now and what's the history of it? And then the other one is just like, where was it found? Okay. Um, And I forget the distinction and I should know that because I had to take a test on that. Um, No, that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. I'll kind of fill in a little background for people who aren't familiar, because I remember when they found Kennewick Man, actually. Yeah. It was not long after we moved out here, but there were two guys, I should call them the ancient one, huh? Well, Um, yeah, I mean, I I guess because that's the Native American preference, and he's now been proven to be of Native American ancestry, so I would say the ancient one. But people know what you mean when they say Kennewick Man. Yeah, Wikipedia thinks he's Kennewick Man. Wikipedia sure does. But there were these guys who were um, near the Columbia River, Mm -hmm. and about 10 feet from shore, they found part of a human skull, Mm -hmm. which, you know, is, at least it wasn't a foot. But uh, people dug into it, and they found this nearly complete, really old skeleton. Yeah. And one of the reasons why it became more famous than other sets of ancient remains is that one archaeologist said, I think these might not be Native American bones. Yes. Like Caucasian bones. Yes. Um, Which, given that these were older than 9,000 years old, would really rewrite our understanding of who was where when. Yes. As it turned out, once people actually sequenced the DNA, no, this was an ancient uh, Native American man. But it was also, you know, in the middle of this tension and this discussion that was heating up uh, from, you know... So NAGPRA passed in 1990, right? So it was pretty fresh. And uh, what the scientists were arguing is that you can't prove that this is related to any modern day tribes. Correct. Right? Like the 90s were not sequencing genomes. Correct. Um, and it, it went all the way to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. And they said, look, we can't 
established that these are Native American remains. We just know these are remains. So it went and was at the Burke Museum, yes. right? And they did scientific yes. study on it. Well, they the scientific study they could do was extremely limited because the Native Americans, when they were doing this lawsuit to try to get control of the remains, had had put... Uh, they made it so that the court, like this lawsuit made it so that you couldn't really touch the remains. Burke wasn't necessarily uh, doing the studies. They were just, they're the Washington state repository. So it was, they were kind of like, they were kind of like, you know, in divorce where like a lawyer would be like, not the husband or the wife gets the car right now. The car goes to a third party and it sits and no one fucking drives it until I figure out which one of you gets it in the divorce. So that's what the Burke did. They held on to it. And if they had court orders that said the Native Americans got to come visit him, which they did, you know, the Burke tried very hard. There was, I mean, in the early years, there was bad blood, man, and I get it. But they did try in later years to be very accommodating and, and let the tribe come in and do ceremonies and, and you know, visit the ancient one. And, but at the same time, if you've got a court order saying this group of scientists gets to come in and take, you know, this centimeter square of fabric sample, they have to honor that as well, because it's not theirs. They're just holding it. They're the pawn shop that's yeah. that's keeping care of it as best as they can until and the courts here, decide. Like, yeah, yeah, they never displayed him. No, either, no, he was never displayed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, wow. Yeah, it looks yeah. like he was kind of a a test case in some ways um and really established stuff yeah definitely home until this year it looks like right so uh he was yeah reburied it was 2016 or 2017 Mm -hmm. he was turned over to the tribes yeah they signed um patty murray and denny heck did legislation Mm -hmm. to return him to the tribe once Mm -hmm. it was proven that he was native american and they signed that. No, Obama signed that mm-hmm. on December sixteenth, twenty sixteen. Um, God, it's been a long year. It's been a long year. <laughs> oh my God, so like, long, it's, dude. It's, today's December eighteenth. Oh my God, of twenty seventeen. I know, right? My entire life, right? Yes, it was, and it was. You're right. It was this year. It was. It was around my birthday this year. It was just this year. Oh my God. It was 10 months ago that he was handed yeah. over to a delegation from like the Yakima and Nez Pierce and a couple other tribes that now call this area home, which if I recall yeah. was also, you know, in like the Colville and, and stuff like that. If I recall, that was also really a point of, of people who wanted to keep the ancient one as Kennewick man and do scientific studies we're super like, well, he's not even related to those tribes because like those were Oklahoman Indians and they got put on the reservation out here in Washington. So he's not like even really, re- I don't know why it's a valley girl now all of a sudden, but it was, yeah. it was people that were saying like, okay, so fine. He's, he's related to Native American tribes, but how do you know which one? Because those people were originally from the Midwest and then they got relocated out here. And it's like, are you fucking serious? Like we still have a Salish population. We still have a Yakima population. We still have a Colville and, and just because those tribes were forcibly integrated into reservations doesn't mean they don't have a claim to him, you know? Yeah, I mean, I can kind of see the argument with the Nez Perce, given that they were, you know, 
pretty much just shuffled west and north yeah. until they're on the rest. But yeah. I don't know why we done fucked up real bad a while ago is good logic for let's continue to fuck up real bad right now. Right. Like, right. that one is on us. I'm, I'm sure they would prefer to be like, yes, in fact, we have lived here for 700 years. Yes. And we can prove that that's, yeah. Yes. Uh, uh, sometimes only your only options are to move forward with a little more compassion and dignity than you had the day before. Right. Oh, my God. That's all you can do. I definitely yeah. wish. I think we could have learned a lot from the Ancient One's further study. And I wish that there had been a better relationship from the beginning. But I, I don't think you could have even had the best relationship possible between the Native Americans and the Army Corps of Engineers, which is who he, I guess, belonged to when he was discovered, technically. Mm -hmm. Like, they they claim it, you know, as, a, as an ancient discovery on these lands. Native American funerary rites, for at least those tribes, means... You know, you you don't. <laughs> doesn't matter how old he is, you don't dissect him. Doesn't matter how old he is, yeah. you don't take fabric samples. You you reinter the bones, or you you do whatever the burial process is again, and you let it be. And mm -hmm. so my, I don't know. I remember when he was found and before he was considered Native American. Like I was definitely, oh my god, like. Let's just learn what we can about him and then do a ceremony, which is, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking those thoughts from a place of privilege. Mm -hmm. um, but also that's how I feel about my own bones, yeah. you know, where I'm just like, I don't care. Take whatever you need. Give the organs to people. Kind of chop up the other little bits if that's helpful. And then the rest, I don't know, feed it to a tree. Yeah, but that's it's, interesting because I think we're both from a culture that doesn't prioritize ancestors very much yeah unless they like did something cool yeah um or memorable or yeah. just kind of like eh, i don't know yeah <laughs> no, <it's> just... <laughs> i was in an argument with matt the other day and i don't remember what i was arguing about but i said matt no woman in my family has ever admitted she was wrong for 20 generations and that's why they burn us as witches <laughs> and he said is that true and i said no she was hanged <laughs> straight into it but i do know like yes i had an ancestor that was burned as uh, no hanged as a witch hanged as a witch my grandma found that out when she got super into genealogy but like that's all i know about it that's right amazing. like I, I i don't have a um you know any kind of tablet with her name i'm not responsible for that or like what the heck is the day of the dead mexican thing it's on the tip of my tongue the ofrenda yes ofrenda yeah ofrenda or anything did you see coco no is it worth seeing Eh, see, okay. see it on a plane. Um, yeah, there you go. I'll watch it on the it's plane. It's fine. I got a five-hour plane ride tomorrow, friends. We'll watch it on the plane. Um, yeah. But with the whole bones thing, um, um, I'm glad um, I really took control of the conversation so I could say um so firmly. Yeah, I'm glad you uh, did. Yeah, with the whole bones thing, I think we can't do it without context. And I think Kennewick man was all of a hundred years away from us putting Indians in zoos yes. and on display at expositions. Yes. So let's err on the side of not being dicks for a yes. change. Like, Hey, do we turn these remains over to a state in an area where they still have 
smoke shop Indians outside of stores? Mm-hmm. Or do we give it back to people more closely related to him who would really like to just put him back in the ground peacefully and say, thanks for surviving and passing on your genetics so that we could be here today. Right, because is there a, a line in archaeology, you, you're more likely to know this, of, of, like, when remains, when does it stop being grave robbing? Right, when does it stop being grave robbing? And I don't know, and that's why everybody should take a museum ethics class, which I couldn't take because my schedule didn't agree with it. I also couldn't take Whoops. the legal issues in museums class, which would have been <laughs> fascinating, and that's where you talk about, like, Elgin marbles and all that shit. Yes. But yeah, it's like, you know, vintage is 75 years old. Mm-hmm. Antique is 100 to 150 years old, depending on if it's furniture or textiles. And then, yeah, like when, like you said, when am I doing science and when am I doing illegals? I guess they're not yeah. mutually exclusive. But exactly well, like you said, when is it grave think- robbing and when is it excavation? Yeah. Of any two hosts of a show that were actually, because, like, I consider myself a scientist, mm-hmm. and I have not done, like, direct biomedical research on people, right. but <laughs> I have had to learn a lot about the ethics of human experimentation, yeah. and I think when a society is going off the rails, a lot of times it justifies what it's doing with science. Yeah. And we've got a pretty bad track record about that. Yeah. And that we like to justify that we're doing a lot of things for science. And although I love science, science is real, science is important, science is not inherently ethical. No, God, no. Or is it apolitical? So I think we need to be considerate. And when we're trying to promote justice, one of the principles of justice and ethics is that burdens and benefits aren't disproportionately allocated. Mm -hmm. I think... Uh, Kennewick Man and or the Ancient One is a pretty clear case of all the harm was going one direction and all the benefit was going a different direction. Absolutely. What fucking benefit were the tribes going to Mm -hmm. see from any fucking experiment we did? Yeah. With him. I mean, like, in general, sure, maybe there's something that we find out that... Mm -hmm. I don't know, we rediscover penicillin or some bullshit like that, and then the, you know, the the water table for everyone rises. That's great, we all benefit. But no, I definitely think we did the right thing by repatriating those remains. Um, you were talking, and I'm not trying to change the subject, but you were talking about uh, Mr. Fenn uh, mm-hmm. having uh, stuff from Egypt, and that's yeah. another really cool story about the Burke that I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm able to share, so I'm going to. So, cool. sorry, Burke, if I wasn't supposed to. But it's, I mean, it's kind of common knowledge that the Burke has an Egyptian mummy. And ah. the Egyptian mummy was displayed in the early days of the Burke because back in the 1900s, they had a wealthy benefactor that any museum's benefactor that was wealthy, their big thing was like, you aren't a real museum unless you have an Egyptian mummy. So, yeah, yeah, dude guy went over to Africa, went to Egypt, went, I like that sarcophagus, I like that mummy, but fuck, it's missing its feet, so take the feet from that mummy over there that's broken, put it together, these three disparate things, pack them up, ship them to the Burke, the Burke had it, they put it on display for a while, and then they went, you know, this actually isn't in keeping with our mission, vision, and values anymore. We are for, by and for, Washington State. Mm -hmm. We don't need these human remains 
on display or anything. So the mummy is in, I've seen it, it's in a very beautiful climate controlled uh, display case. The mummy is kept separate uh, from the sarcophagus because those two things, human remains and wood, need different kinds of environments. They're amazing, isn't it? They need different microclimates. So uh, they're kept, and every 10 years or so, the Burke tries to repatriate these human remains to Egypt. And the Egyptian government goes, you know, we've got so many mummies over here. <laughs> Just keep it. We're not worried. And the Burke is like, okay, you don't understand. Like, we need to deaccession this. We need, <laughs> but we can't just, you don't just deaccession a mummy. You, <laughs> we really need to give this back to you so that you can bury it properly, so that you can have it for you guys. It's not right for our country to have this dead person that had, well, two dead people. Part of one, yeah. part of the other. There's where your feet are the coming feet from. Are, <laughs> yeah. feet. It all ties the together, mommy folks. Is searching for her feet. She's trying to find them. The part of the museum, the part of the collections where I worked, which is where other funerary objects and remains and things like that are kept. It's in the the uh, anthropological collection area. There are some people who are very willing to talk about that area and others who are just like, fuck you, I don't want to talk about it at all. Mm -hmm. uh, but there are, there was one woman that worked there the year before I was who couldn't go in that room because whenever she went in there, shit would fall. You'd hear stuff in cabinets topple over. Boxes would pop open, you know, like just fall and pop open. And they were all like, okay, well, we can explain it, you know, that it wasn't mm -hmm. secured. But she felt like the ghosts in that room, that these objects didn't like her. And huh. she had, you know, bad juju as far as they were concerned. And so she didn't go in that room anymore. Because every time she did, shit acted up. That makes sense to me. Not I weird. I not go in a room anymore if that's what happened. Oh, man. Life. And it was all underground. I mean, the Burke is... It's in. They're doing their great rebuild. They're going to have open collection spaces or visible collection spaces in some of it, which I think is fascinating. But right now, it's all underground in a building that was built, you know, what, 50 years ago, 70 years ago. Uh, it's creepy as fuck down there in collections. Oh, I bet. Yeah, it's got to be so, like the end of Raiders or whatever. Oh, yeah. Where yeah, <laughs> it's but, just boxes. <laughs> but with lower ceilings and fluorescent lights delightful yeah oh my god yeah so, you always work you end up working cooler places than i want to get back into working for a museum where i feel like i'm doing that so bad i love my museum right now but we have no collection mm. you know the building is the collection which is cool but like i want treasures liz i love treasures i'm so glad you brought me this story because i love treasures the story of treasure all we have where I work is there are cadavers on campus, mm -hmm. um, and I won't put them on Front Street, but I'll just say there's one building that has elevators that are a lot bigger than the elevators in the other building, and if you oh picture a gurney, you can understand why. Yep. And there's actually, in another building, there's um, animal testing that goes on, and I think they keep that on the down. I bet they lot. do. Um, but there's also a building, Secrets of WSU. Secrets! Okay. Um, there's a building that does fire drills without the sound, because the sound 
is upsetting to the little mices or whatever. To the little research animals. Oh gosh. Yeah, and they don't want to stress them out. Oh gosh. They come around and say we're having a fire drill. (laughs) Gently, they gently. Some guys. Sound of the police. (laughs) Yes, it's some guy's job to go through and quietly play Mozart, and that's your fire drill signal. Oh my god! Now it just makes me think of one of the Jack the Ripper victims. I think it was Mary Eddings who had been arrested earlier in the evening for being drunk and disorderly and impersonating a fire engine. (laughs) (laughs) That's why he killed her. He's no annoying. Annoying. Rude. I'm trying to do my animal experiments Rude. over here. Damn I'm it. Make them push a lever and get a pellet. And now all they're doing is listening to you. <laughs> Had enough of you, Mary. Yeah. Oh my god. That's, yeah, that's a treasure story I wanted to bring to you because it had lots of nice juicy details and curse and all that kind of good stuff. Not just what we've got with some of the ones on the map, which basically what we've put in the text of the map is what we know. Which is, there's some gold. There's a lost mine. Mm -hmm. There's, I do like the old Spaniards mine one, which is, he was the one where he would ride into town on his mule and then he would put the shoes on the mule backward so you couldn't follow his tracks. God bless him. Just I think you illustrated that one with a little horse. I did. I did. Just follow him backward. I just go the other direct I don't get it. That's not hard. Just mule jack him with a gun and say, Hey Jose, knock that shit off. <laughs> Take me to where the gold is. Tell me right now. You and your yeah. backwards mule. I like mule jacking as a euphemism. I'm not going to tell you what it's a euphemism for. Oh, Lord. <sighs> I do. Yeah, I I'm just, terrified. it sounds great, doesn't it? Yeah, well, that's uh, when you tell an old Spanish miner that you've had enough of this inspector gadget nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of Scooby-Doo situation are you using to hide your gold? It's like in Dr. Venture. I call them sneakies. <laughs> Oh, God, you're right. <laughs> where the souls so spin around so the Russians can't follow ya. That's the story of Fen's treasure, and I will definitely tell people, I'll tell you on the show and everybody who listens, if anybody finds it, they still could. Somebody's gonna find it. Oh. Maybe it'll be 9,000 years from now, though. Mm, it's gonna be me, because this is my new obsession. All right, well, get on it and don't don't tell us your solve, because then everybody's going to rush out and do it. I'll tell you my solve, because this is how we're going to pay to continue Ouija Broads into the future. Cool. All right, well, until that comes into play, I would suggest that people go over to our Patreon, mm-hmm. which is patreon.com slash Ouija Broads. Mm, yes, you please. You like that transition, mm, It was you? really good. Did I set that up for you, or did I set that That's up for you? That's how I like it. Yeah. That's beautiful. Oh. Uh, I... I'm very grateful for the supporters that we have so far. And if you do join us over there, you're going to get to see some cool stuff. We just today taped ourselves playing the Oregon Trail game. It was really fun. Oh, man, that was great. Shout out to uh, patron Lucille, who got to be one of our characters. But yeah, you can get the seance. You can get uh, all our outtakes and our lists and our thoughts and our mm-hmm. whatever is going into the world, uh, you will find it on our Patreon. That got way off track. Sorry. No, I love um, it. 
You can also join us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter yes. at Ouija Broads. And, of course, we have our website at OuijaBroads.com. Yes. Where we will put all our show notes. So if you want to follow these links <gasps> and learn about the ancient one or about the treasure so that you can go, you know, look at the map and look at the you know, compass north and all this crap yep. and what people have already figured out, you get on the case. Do it. Do it. If, Do it. If you want the thrill of the chase mm-hmm. to get on the case, you go to the place where the broads never erase their data. Wow. That was my that poem. That was beautiful. Mm-hmm. That was so beautiful. I, I can solve the riddle, and the riddle is that they should rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes gotcha, and good. Podbean. Um, we're now, I believe, also on Google Play. Hey, that's where you like getting your podcast. Liz put us on the YouTube as well. I also put us on YouTube. Yes, I just find a image that either Devin took or is public domain free to use, Mm-mm. and then I put all our audio on there. And then I know some people like to listen to podcasts on YouTube, and I support you in your journey. Oh, you weirdos! We love you. Yup. We do. We want you to live weird. Die weird. And stay weird. Thank you so much for listening. Go find some treasure. Find some treasure and tell me about it. I don't even need to have it. I just want to touch it for a minute. I just want to see it. You want to put it in your mouth. That's what she said. Mm